welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown. I am your host from the great beyond, Gary, here to entertain and inform you about the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. Unfortunately, because of scheduling conflicts, Goldie Ann is unable to participate in this week's episode. In fact, a lot of strange things have happened this week. This week's episode was supposed to be about our visit to the haunted Gilchrist County Jail. Things did not go well for us in the Yeti as it was a two and a half hour trip and while we were at the 90 minute mark, my car broke down on the off ramp. Sitting in the rain with the windows down and no power to raise them, we waited for an hour and a half before the tow truck came to pick us up. It took us to a garage that closed about a half hour previously. With nothing else we could do, we proceeded to walk a mile in the rain to a hotel. There, we dried off, tried to regain our sanity, and get some rest. The next day, we discovered that the engine required a complete replacement. Thankfully, my father was able to pick us up and bring us home to where the dogs were ecstatic to see us. In the end, we missed a great opportunity to participate in an actual paranormal investigation. And my car is going to cost me $9,000 in repairs. In better news, we still have until September 11th of this week for our listeners to go to the Paranormality Magazine website to cast their vote for Within the Mist as the best 40 in podcast of 2022. I would really appreciate your votes and those of everyone you know in our attempt to be recognized for the work we do. We're a young podcast, so it's impressive that we even made it this far. I will provide a link to the voting in the show notes and on our social media. There is no obligation and no cost, so it is a great way for you to support us with just a few minutes of your time. Today's episode contains stories about the murder of a real person, Teresita Bassa. Some of the details can be quite graphic and disturbing. We are storytellers who have gathered information on some of our favorite mysteries to bring to you. We don't attempt to scare our listeners on purpose. Well, maybe just a little. Listener discretion is always advised. And with that, we travel to the city of Chicago, which has grown accustomed to its nights being disturbed by the wailing sounds of sirens. With so many of its population packed together within its city limits, emergencies can and do occur nightly. It is something that barely raises the eyebrows with the locals who presume it is all part of the normal life when living in the Windy City. However, on the night of February 21st, 1977, there would be an incident so incredibly tragic and extremely horrific that was discovered within their neighborhoods that even the stalwart citizens would have to take notice. Firefighters were called in and they would uncover an apartment fire used in an attempt to cover the evidence of a grisly murder. Teresita Bassa's nude body was discovered beneath a burning mattress in the living room of her apartment with a knife buried in her chest. 
The case lingered on for months afterwards with the lack of any motive or evidence. Suspicions soon grew that the case would remain unsolved forever and leave both the family and friends of Teresita with many unanswered questions. It was at this point that the investigation took a truly paranormal turn. This would astound the police and the citizens of Chicago. Join us today as we will take a walk within the mist and discuss the murder of Teresita Bassa. Chapter 1 Teresita, the Innocent Victim Born in the Philippines in 1929, Teresita Bassa had moved to the United States in the 1960s with her family. She had hopes for the opportunity to study music at an American college. She was optimistic that here in Chicago, she would experience a brighter future and a better life. Although she initially came to the States to study music, she became a respiratory therapist at Edgewater Hospital. The facility, which was located just outside of Chicago, Illinois, had its own claim to fame. It boasted Frank Sinatra as a patient and was the birthplace of both serial killer John Wayne Gacy and Hillary Rodham Clinton. Quiet and unassuming, the 47-year-old was the last person anyone would expect to be the victim of a violent crime. Her co-workers described her as a dedicated professional who gave her all to her patients. Her caring was a defining trait to the entire staff and she appeared to have no enemies. In fact, while she was pursuing a master's degree in music, she would frequently give out complimentary piano lessons to the neighborhood children. Beyond her work and studying for her master's degree, she enjoyed a relatively quiet and sedate life. Chapter 2 The Night of February 21st, 1977 It was an exceptionally cold and snowy night on February 21st, 1977. It was enough to convince Teresita to stay at home for the night after work. The only confirmed contact she had was Ruth Loeb, a close friend, who would later report to the police that she had phoned Teresita and they chatted for almost 30 minutes. Loeb would later testify to the police that Teresita was expecting a friend to come over, but she didn't give any further details about who he was or the purpose of his visit. However, an hour later at 9 p.m., neighbors began complaining of smelling smoke in the area. Chicago has always had a nasty history with fires since the Great One of 1871, when a fire nearly destroyed the entire city over a period of three days. Therefore, the residents were not taking any chances and the fire department was immediately called in. They arrived in order to put out a fire in Teresita's Lakefront Chicago building. The fire gave the impression to be limited to the one apartment and centered on a burning mattress in the middle of the living room. Within minutes, it was promptly extinguished before it could spread to the remainder of the building. At first, it appeared that the apartment was unoccupied. 
When the smoldering and smoking mattress was moved, however, the firefighters made a very grim discovery. In the aftermath of the blaze, they found Teresita Bassa's nude and lifeless body laying beneath the burning mattress. A butcher knife was buried deep into her chest. Chapter 3 The Murder Investigation Goes Cold At first, investigators believed that the fire had been set to cover up a rape and murder of the woman. Her nudity indicated that she was the victim of a sexual crime. Later, the autopsy determined that she had not been raped. There seemed to be no apparent motive for the senseless crime. Further hindering the investigation was that there was very little physical evidence left after the fire. Most had been destroyed by the flames. The only remaining piece of evidence that was found, however, was a memo that stated, quote, Get theater tickets for A.S. The investigators had no idea who A.S. was. Smoke and fire damage had ruined any opportunity of recovering fingerprints, and nothing initially appeared to be missing or tampered with, other than the mattress being removed from the bed. For five long months, police had no leads and no idea who could possibly want Teresita Bassa dead. The police pursued several leads, but they were all subsequently dismissed. They suspected that A.S. may have been involved in the crime, but they didn't know what the initials stood for. Her boyfriend, whom she allegedly argued with, was considered a possible suspect, but that was quickly ruled out due to his having no motive and an alibi during the night in question. Everything about the case came to a screeching halt, and the police were not any closer to having any answers than they did on the very first day of the murder. Chapter 4 The Voice from Beyond It would be six months after Teresita was murdered that the first real lead would come, and it would come from the most surprising of sources. Her co-worker, Rembias Remy Chua, another native from the Philippines, and her husband, Dr. Jose C. Chua, Jr., contacted Chicago detective Joe Stahua claiming to have information about her murder. At the time, the Chicago Police Department was completely baffled with no more leads to pursue and no suspects in the case. Detective Stahula was willing at this point to grasp at any straws in the hope of solving the murder. The detective visited the couple at their home. Once he was seated across from them in their living room, the husband and wife told the detective about the murder from their own source, the spirit of Teresita Bassa herself. Remy explained that she had begun having visions and dreams for the past few weeks, in which Teresita appeared to her. The spirit was begging for them to go to the police and tell what had happened to her. It began one evening in which Remy had been working an extremely long shift at the hospital. She seized an opportunity to take a short nap on the couch in the hospital's lounge. Seconds after she closed her eyes, she felt an otherworldly presence, 
a coldness, in fact, in the room with her. She reopened her eyes to see a haziness of a person at her feet on the couch. Remy knew it was Teresita Rosa as she sat upright on the couch, frightened at the first sight of the ghostly presence. Her thoughts were that she must be dreaming and could not believe her eyes. The spirit of Teresita looked back at her, almost staring through her friend. Remy was uncertain of what to do, but her fear prevented her from getting up from the lounge's sofa and running from the ghost. Then the vision vanished as quickly as it had appeared. Two weeks later, Remy was home with her husband when she decided to go to bed early from fatigue. According to her husband, when he went into the bedroom shortly afterwards to check on her, she began speaking in another voice. He gently shook her shoulders to arouse her, but was unsuccessful. As he began calling out her name, the strange voice answered back and denied being Remy. Out of a growing concern for his wife, he asked who she was. The other voice declared that she was Teresita Bassa. The name meant nothing to the man as he was not aware of who Teresita was at this time. She begged for his help in solving her murder and wanting justice against the man who had killed her. The possessed Remy informed her husband, Joe, that her killer's name was Alan Showery. The voice explained that he was an orderly that worked at the same hospital that she had previously been employed at. The spirit became frantic, pleading with Joe to go to the police or else they would never find her killer. Doctor, I would like to ask for your help. The man who murdered me is still at large. Teresita spoke these words through Remy's unconscious body. When Remy awoke 30 minutes later, she had no memory of what had happened or any part of the conversation with her husband. It would appear that the woman had been possessed by the spirit of the murdered Teresita Rosa. Spirit possession is defined by Wikipedia as an unusual or altered state of consciousness with behaviors controlled by spirits, ghosts, demons, or gods. The concept of spirit possession exists in many cultures and religions, including Buddhism, Christianity, Haitian voodoo, Hinduism, Islam, and Wicca. Depending on the culture in which it is found, possession may be considered voluntary or involuntary and may be considered to have beneficial or detrimental effects on the host. A 1969 study funded by the National Institute of Mental Health Spirit possession beliefs were found to exist in 74% of a sample of 488 societies in all parts of the world. It seemed that the friendship between Remy and Teresita and their connection as both were originally from the Philippines provided the connection necessary for Teresita to reach out from beyond the grave. Regardless of whether Joe believed in spiritual possessions or not, he decided, at first, not to go to the police with the information provided by Teresita through his wife.
Then, the voice possessed Remy a second time a few days later, asking why Joe did not go to the police. The voice had become more insistent and pleading for his help. He explained to the voice possessing his wife that he had no evidence against Showery. The police would not take him seriously at this time. The spirit paused, then told Joe that the murderer had taken jewelry after her murder and had given it to his girlfriend. Now, with this new information, the couple called the Chicago Police Department and Detective Stahula. Chapter 5, The New Evidence The detective was unsure if he could trust the information or not, as the couple requested complete anonymity. As a police officer, he wanted to keep an open mind, and his instincts told him that the couple were being sincere. The strength of their belief that what had occurred was so strong that he decided to listen to their story. He became immediately intrigued when they mentioned the name Alan Showery. It provided a possible connection to the A.S. note that had been attained from the crime scene. He did not know how he would place their statements in an official police report, as such things were not covered in the manual. But he did know he had to act on the new information they provided, and had to do it right away. The detective decided to do a background check on Showery, where he discovered that not only had the suspect and Teresita known each other, both worked within the same respiratory medicine department of the hospital. Showery even lived within walking distance of Teresita's apartment. Speaking with co-workers, they confirmed that Showery was planning to go to her apartment that night to repair her television. This was the first real lead in the case, as it placed Showery as a suspect at the scene of the crime during the night of her murder. Stahula immediately brought Showery into the station for questioning. After a long period of give and take, Showery confirmed that he had gone to her apartment to repair a television. Once there, he explained that he didn't have the proper tools to do the repair work she needed. He informed the detective that because he was unable to fix her television, he left and went home to go do some electrical work for his girlfriend instead. The seasoned detective noticed the inconsistencies in his story and decided to continue in his pursuit of his first real lead in the investigation. His next step was to contact Showery's girlfriend, Yanka Kamlov, who not only contradicted his story, but confessed that Showery had absolutely no skills when it came to electronics. The detective then asked if her boyfriend had given her any jewelry, and she confirmed that he had recently gifted her with multiple pieces. She agreed to let Teresita's friends and family inspect the objects Showery had given her. When the family had arrived to the station, they immediately recognized a large green piece of jade and several other distinctive pieces of Teresita's jewels. 
There was even a ring they confirmed that Teresita's father had purchased as a gift to her mother in France. Showery's girlfriend confirmed to the detective that she had been given each of the identified articles fairly recently and just after the time of the murder. The case was now broken wide open and the police could bring in their suspect with the tangible evidence. Chapter 6 Teresita Receives Her Justice The self-proclaimed repairman initially tried to get the case against him thrown out because all the evidence came from the great beyond. Confronted with the evidence of the family-identified jewels and his unsubstantiated alibi, he eventually broke down and made a complete confession to the murder of Teresita. He said that after he left her apartment and was walking back to his own home, he made a plan to go back and rob her. When he did return, he explained to Teresita that he had left something behind and needed to retrieve it. The woman unlocked her door and led him back into her apartment. As the unsuspecting woman turned away from him to lock the door, Showery grabbed her from behind. He wrapped his arm around her throat in a chokehold, and he continued his hold on her even as she ceased struggling and became limp in his arms. Reaching with his free hand, he found a knife and plunged it into her chest to make sure she was dead. In the living room, he confessed that he had disrobed her to make it look like a sexual assault or a rape crime. He then moved away from the deceased woman and entered the bedroom where he found the jewelry. Quickly stuffing his pockets, he then turned to the pristinely made bed with the pink and white comforter placed atop it. Throwing them to his side, he pulled the mattress from the bed and dragged it through the apartment until he reached the living room to cover the body. Taking some scattered papers, he lit them ablaze from the fireplace and tossed them atop the mattress. He watched as the makeshift funeral pyre began to smolder and burn. Once convinced of his handiwork, he unlocked the door and casually left her apartment for the second and final time. At the court arraignment, and despite his confession, Showery pleaded not guilty to the murder. He attempted to place the accusations being from a ghostly spirit was not enough to overcome the evidence of the jewels in the notes found in her apartment. The trial took four weeks until it ended with a mistrial from a hung jury. The members of the jury were convinced that he had possession of the stolen articles, but this was not entirely enough to convince them of his guilt in the murder. The confession was dismissed. Before a new trial could begin, and for some unexplained reasons, Showery decided to plead guilty on February 23, 1979, as part of his plea deal. The murderer received only a 14-year sentence for his cold-blooded crime. He was released on parole and returned to New York City in 1983, a mere 
four years after he received his sentence. In closing, the spirit of Teresita Bassa had never made another appearance. Either she was satisfied that her killer was discovered and moved beyond to her final resting place, or perhaps she comes to Showery even after his release from prison to enact continued punishment to the man she trusted up to the moment of he murdered her. There has never been any rational explanation to Teresita's boss's ability to speak through another woman. Yet, without the crucial information she provided even after death, it seemed likely that the case of the murder might never have been solved. The police were unaware of the missing jewelry during the investigation of the crime scene and were unable to identify the AS from the note located within the apartment. It was Teresita reaching out with her spiritual form and taking possession of a friend that enabled her truth to be revealed. I hope she is satisfied that her message has been received. Much of the research from the episode has been documented in the book Houses of Horror by Richard Weiner and in the telemovie Voice from the Grave. Unsolved Mysteries also had an episode dedicated to this case with its resolution. All of these provide even more information to those curious listeners so that they can decide more for themselves of what really happened. The skeptical side would easily explain this as a case in which Teresita's friend, Remy, knew enough about what had happened to her and was suspicious enough to concoct the entire story of the possession. This was in order to get the Chicago police force to investigate Alan Showery. Perhaps the orderly had even given himself away to her while at work together. Some idle comment he made. And Remy knew enough suspected enough but couldn't prove it but on the other hand there is a great deal about this that really makes you wonder if the spirit of a victim can come back to obtain justice we only hope that she is satisfied and is now resting in peace well being sure to listen to whatever my wife says in her sleep tonight I suppose this is a good time to make our way back out of the mist and bring this episode to a close. Special thanks to David Facilian and Facilian Studios for our introduction music. We are on social media and love to hear your stories and opinions about spiritual possession and the murder case of Teresita Bassa. You can reach us on our Facebook page within the Mist Podcast. We are also on Instagram and Twitter. Plus, we have an email just for you at withinthemistpodcast@gmail.com. We hope you enjoyed our story about the murder of Teresita Bassa and her ghostly return. Please come again for another episode. And until then, listen closely from words from the great beyond and remain constantly curious. Goodbye, everyone.